Hello, everyone. Um, I pulled out a um, talk that I did 12 years ago um, to uh, explore with us a bit, and it's called Reframing Words. To give you a little bit of a background on that, um, many years ago there were a number of people here who were having trouble with some religious words that maybe uh, put them in a place that didn't feel so good because of a past religious uh, upbringing or something like that. Um, and so we, talk, we started talking about reframing words and um, defining words in ways that they make sense to us as opposed to just giving up on a word. There's some perfectly good words that have a lot of religious um, things that come to our mind that maybe don't put us in the best place. Uh, some people may not have an issue with this at all. Um, what I think is that um, as Unitarian Universalists, one of the things we're called to do is figure out what we believe, what our values are, how we're supposed to be in the world. And so if you don't have any issues with words, uh, with relig religious words, then you can think of this as a way to help you think through what is it you believe as a Unitarian Universalist. One of the things that I thought was good about about this talk from 12 years ago is that I don't agree with it all anymore. And so I had to, so I had to make some adjustments to it. And, and if, you're, you know, if you're in this faith or this religion that we're in, um, that's one of the things that you do. You learn and you grow and you change. And so I've made some, some adjustments into this um, from, uh, from 12 years ago. So here we go, reframing words. Uh, today I want to talk about words. Words in general, and words about some very specific words. Obviously, words have meanings because they help us communicate with each other. Have you noticed how some words almost sound like their meanings? For example, some words sound positive, like upbeat and clear. Some words sound negative, like pessimistic and abysmal. Some words sound playful, like bouncy and impish. Some words sound serious, like momentous and significant. Some words are just fun to say, like parsimonious or prognosticator. <laughs> we can convey so much with words. Words bring people together through better understanding. But words also divide us, and they can hurt. Words are powerful. Many of us learned this saying when we were children. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I guess that retort maybe helped us not to take to heart something that someone said to us when we were teased. But that statement is absolutely not true. Words do hurt us. Today we see the serious harm to children and teens from stories we hear about bullying on the internet. Sadly, we have too many examples of how seriously words hurt when they are spoken by others. People may say things to us that, that sting, or they may say words that praise us, words that can make us feel two feet tall or 10 feet tall. Words can motivate us, they can deflate, they can encourage, they can exhaust us. Several years ago, when my niece was about five years old, she had to have an MRI. Her mom was a little concerned about my niece staying still, not getting scared while she was in the tube of the MRI for about 30 minutes. It all worked out fine. My niece didn't move. Uh, the MRI was over. And after the test, my sister said how pleased she was that my niece could say, stay still for so long. And my niece said, I was all stuffed up, like Winnie the Pooh. Um, so it seems like during that whole procedure, my niece was thinking in this, that this MRI was like Pooh being stuck in the book called Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. <laughs> and so it worked. 
So you probably know the story, but I'll give you a short summary of it. Uh, the story begins with Winnie the Pooh in the Hundred Acre Wood, and he finds that his jar of honey is empty. He starts wondering where he can get more. Here's a bee fly by. He decides to, to get, try to get honey from the bee's hive in the nearby honey tree. He climbs the honey tree. He reaches as high as he can, but the branch he is standing on breaks. Then Pooh visited Christopher Robin to get a balloon to try to get to the honey in the honey tree but then the bees chased him away. He still has honey on his mind, so he asked Rabbit for honey, and he eats all the honey that Rabbit has. Then he tries to climb through Rabbit's front door, but he's become so big and so full of honey that he gets stuck tight. Rabbit tries to free Pooh from pushing on his oversized bottom, but the bear just won't budge. In a panic, Rabbit runs off to fetch Christopher Robin for help. While Pooh waits, he's visited by Owl and Gopher, but they're unable to help. Finally, Rabbit comes back with Christopher Robin, who tries to pull Pooh out, but he won't budge one inch from all that honey that he ate. Since they can't pull him out, Christopher Robin suggests pushing him back in, but Rabbit protests. Eventually, Christopher Robin comes to a solution. Pooh will just have to wait to get thin. Rabbit is forced to make the best of a bad situation. And of course, after many days have passed, Rabbit is fed up, and he takes several steps backward. He, char he charges into Pooh, and with a loud pop, Pooh bursts out of Rabbit's front door like a cork, and he goes flying through the air. He lands in the honey tree, getting himself stuck again and frightening the bees away. The gang runs after him, and Christopher Robin tells Pooh that they will help him get out again, but Pooh tells them to just take their time. He's quite content to remain stuck as he happily eats the honey. Words. They helped that little girl who was always moving stay still when she needed to. They entertained her and they kept her calm. She pretend, pretended she was poo stuck from eating too much honey. The words of this story were comforting to a child, but that's not the reason I'm telling the story today. The reason I'm telling the story about Winnie the Pooh and the honey tree is my niece's reaction to the medical test. She said she was all stuffed up and it seemed like a positive thing to her. She envisioned Pooh happily eating his honey while stuck in the tree. But being all stuffed up doesn't sound like a good thing to me. Being all stuffed up makes me think of words like smothered, caught, bound, suffocated, stifled, and unable to get away. Very different words from my niece's reaction. I believe that words can sometimes make us feel all stuffed up and not in a good way. And after being here at UUFM for more than 15 years, I've discovered that among the members of our congregation, there are all kinds of words that have negative or unhappy or smothering connotations for people. The words, of course, are a little bit different for each of us. They're based on our experiences. Many of them are related to religious ideas. Some of us don't really have any particular reaction to some words, while others have very positive or very negative reactions. Five of our UU sources, wisdom from the world's religions, humanist teachings, words and deeds of prophetic women and men, Jewish and Christian teachings, and teachings of earth-centered traditions would suggest that we will have a comfort level with words from diverse religions and philosophies. But as we know, this is often not the case. Listen to the sixth UU uh, source statement. It says, Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness of the forces which create and uphold life. Wow, now that is a statement itself 
that has some uncomfortable words or phrases, transcending mystery, spirit. What in the world do I make of these words? Well, we can neglect to ignore the words that make us uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes people make fun and, and say demeaning things related to the words, and I don't know, maybe that works for some people, but that's really kind of a negative way to deal with words, and it also doesn't help us solve the, the feeling that we have about the negative word. And in fact, maybe it makes that negative word even stronger in a bad sense for us. So I think the best way to deal with words that we have strong negative reactions to is just to think about them more and to ask some questions. Just what is it about that word that's upsetting? Why do I have a strong reaction? If I try to understand the word more, will my negative reaction be lessened? Can I reframe that word? Reframing is a way of changing the way we look at something and in the process changing our experience with it. Reframing is a way that we can alter our perceptions. This is a common technique used by people dealing with stress, conflict management, changes in work practices, depression, and we reframe in meditation practices. Why not use this idea of reframing to think about words that are difficult for us? Reframing a word is simply changing our emotional setting or viewpoint in relation to that word to something that works with our present reality. Now, as I said earlier, the words I most often hear people talk about in negative ways here, um, and I expect this is true in other congregations as well, are words related to religion. In fact, the word religion itself may need a little reframing for some of us. I've been working on reframing some words so, words, um, so that they work in my life now, and I have a comfort level with the words. There's several words I'm still thinking about, words like evil, grace, sin, salvation, born again, testimony, holy, and revelation. I also realize that some of these words don't really have much impact on my emotions anymore, but they're words from the religion of my childhood that have impacted me, and some of these words still have significant impact. Now, you may have different words that you need to reframe, but I expect everyone can think of some words related to religion that cause you some stress or some negative thinking. Why should we reframe words? The short answer is the anger and negativity that hearing some words brings to us. If we can reframe the words, we can lessen our negative reaction to the word. There's some perfectly good words that can work for us that we shy away from just because of the connotation they have for us. These are some words that I've been framing, reframing for myself. Church, spiritual, faith, God, and religion. So for a few minutes, I'd like to explore each of these words and talk to you a little bit about how I think through the reframing of them. Church. Most of you will remember this. Here's the church and here's the steeple, right? Open the door, where are the people? Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door, here are the people. Um, I think probably by age three, uh, I, knew, I knew that and, and knew the uh, motions to go along with it. I think most of us probably have a long-standing relationship with that word church. Um, you know, lots of UU, UU churches don't call themselves churches. They call themselves congregations or fellowships or societies because they've just decided they don't like that word church. Uh, so I think that word doesn't seem to work for a lot of UUs. Um, you know, there's this joke, this UU joke that says, once upon a time a UU was shipwrecked alone on an uninhabited island. When he was found, his rescuers noticed that he had built two churches. 
and what that meant. And he said, this one I go to, that one I wouldn't go near. <laughs> if this is how we think of church, is that place we won't set foot in, um, and I think that is the case for, for some of us. Uh, for many here and in other UU congregations, we would say yes to that. Uh, we don't want to go near that place. So let's think about this word church for a minute. We can define church as a community, a place where I belong, a sanctuary, a place where I'm nurtured and cared about, a group of people. According to Reverend Janet Bowering, a church is people. She says, it's not a body of belief, a set of principles, or an impressive structure of stone or wood or glass. So today I'm reframing church as my community. What about the word spiritual? Here's another little UU joke. Why did the UU cross the road? The answer, to support the chicken in its own search for his path in life. <laughs> These are great jokes, aren't they? Yes. Um, we are, we are each searching for our own path, our own sense of what's important in life and what we must do. Doug Mooder wrote in an article about spirituality in UU World in the, in the summer of 2011. And he defines spirituality as an awareness of the gap between what you can experience and what you can describe. An awareness of the gap between what you can experience and what you can describe. He says that spirituality is not a place or an activity, it's an awareness. Mooder said that spiritual seekers don't want to debate definitions about what is spiritual. They, he said they want to talk about the experience of having no words. We all have experiences where we have no words. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset. Maybe it's a perfect day spent with a loved one. Maybe it's that moment at the end of a meditation session, or maybe it's an aha moment we get from a sermon that floods us with emotion. These gaps in awareness are different for each of us. So what is spiritual is different for each of us. Mooder says that the reason we should seek out spirituality is because the undescribed is where we get new ideas. This gap is where we get the creativity and the capacity to be creative. The capacity, he says, to stare into the gap between experience and description until something becomes describable for the very first time. Spirituality helps us to develop our purpose in life, an understanding that we are part of something larger than ourselves, and it provides a comfort in not understanding the answers to all of our questions. Some emotions we likely experience through our spiritual practice include inspiration, joy, gratitude, compassion, peace, and wholeness. According to Roger Waltz, spirituality is an awakening of the heart and mind through spiritual practices. He says, the ultimate aim of spiritual practices is awakening. This is to know our true self and our relationship to the sacred. And of course, as you know, there are many types of spiritual practices. Some examples include meditation, art, music, reading, journaling, yoga, exercise, prayer, relationships, social justice activities, and many, many other things. Scott Alexander, the author of Everyday Spiritual Practices said, what makes our efforts spiritual practices and not just hobbies is the commitment to making the activity a regular and significant part of our life. Alexander says we can practice spirituality in our daily lives, in our daily activities, by remembering to pause, to pay attention, 
to feel appreciation for what is before us. Paying attention means using all of our senses in being in the world and in the moment. Listen to this quote from Alice Berry. She said, when we turn from self and seek to be aware, we will find holy light in human faces, in blossoms, birdsong, and sky. It's clear to me that Unitarian Universalist churches today, spirituality is a central part of our programs and a major, major reason that people tend our churches and fellowships. We offer many ways for people to develop a sense that we are part of something larger than ourselves and to directly experience what is central and essential to our lives. So today I'm reframing spirituality as two things, a deliberate awareness and seeking to describe the indescribable. Next word, faith. My first thought, of course, was this George Michael song, right? You gotta have faith. Um, and, and maybe this is already a term that I've, I've reframed a, a little bit, but faith is a word I think that is difficult for many of us. We think of faith as related to Christianity, and if that's the case, the word works easily for those you use who are Christians, but faith is a concept you know, of course, faith is a concept to make, that makes sense to Christians, but for others, having belief without evidence makes no sense. Uh, Doug Mooder in UU World described faith this way. He says it's a way of living in the present, closer to a mindset or an attitude than a belief. He says faith can't be grasped through a simple definition. Faith is taking a situation and moving through it with no safety net. No idea of how it will come out in the end. I can have faith in God, in myself, in others, faith in humanity, faith in truth, or faith in conscience. Erica Austin says that UU faith can be described this way. She says it is a free-thinking, liberal religion that is guided by shared values rather than a particular dogma or creed. This lets individuals claim their personal beliefs based on conscience and experience. And at its core, Unitarian Universalism places emphasis on the worth and value of every person and the interconnectedness of all things. UUs are encouraged to give life to their values, demonstrating compassion, respect, and justice, working together to make the world a better place to pass along to our children. Yes, our UU religion is about faith. Faith in the future, faith in ourselves, faith in each other, faith in the ability of our minds to think and develop solutions, and faith in the importance of shared values. So today I'm reframing the word faith as living in the present without a safety net and knowing that things have a way of working out. Next term, God. In news stories, we hear these, this type of thing all the time. God saved our family from a tornado. And I always wonder, why would a loving God destroy the person next door, but not the person living next to them. I mean, maybe God is vengeful. Maybe this fire and brimstone character who punishes us when we're bad uh, is what God is. Or maybe God is love. As you use, some of us very much identify with the traditional definition of God. But others find this term not useful at all. Many of our prayers and meditations here begin with phrases like spirit that I do not know, or great mystery, or eternal spirit. So what about this word God? Can it be useful for those who have left the concept behind? According to Paul Rezor, theologians remind us that the symbol God can serve 
several important functions. First, it offers a vision of the highest values of truth, justice, love, and goodness toward which we strive. And in this sense, it serves as a standard against which to measure ourselves and our achievements. Second, the concept of God can remind us of the relativity and limitations of our own ideas. Here, it serves as a corrective to our biases and a basis for critical reflection. And then finally, by bringing together our highest ideals in a single symbol, the idea of God provides a focus for personal devotion or communal worship. So these are some good reasons why God continues to be an important and meaningful symbol for many Unitarian Universalists today. Is it possible to reframe this term and think about God as the something in the universe that is bigger than I am? Some essence of life that has its own plan or that works without human interference? Reverend Galen Gingarek asked this question at the UU General Assembly. Uh, why do and should people who do not believe in a traditional God continue to use the word God? He said that he believes the word God is the single most powerful force in the struggle between fundamentalism and pluralism. He said, I am simply unwilling to let the opposition have full access to a symbol of that kind. Gungaric made the argument that we simply lose the discussion if the word God is just given to the fundamentalist and we say, God is what you say God is, we just don't agree with you. Gungaric said, for people who do not believe in a personal God, the idea of God is necessary for two reasons. One, a word is needed for the collection of all experiences in the universe. And two, a word is needed to explain where possibilities come from. So today I'm reframing God as two things, an effort toward highest values and awe in the power of the universe. Religion, another word. First thing I think of, give me that old time religion, give me that old time religion, it's good enough for me. Uh, my definition goes way back to phrases from that song from my childhood. Uh, it does seem typical for us to associate the word religion with specific with specific religions and certain beliefs. I've got, of course, some you jokes about religion. Might help us refine this a bit. Um, what do you mean it's a creedless religion? Well, that means you don't believe in anything, right? No, 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 that's not what it means. So what do you believe in? Well, for one thing, we believe in creedless religion. <laughs> a fundamentalist Christian said to a UU, I hear you deny the divinity of Christ. The UU responded, no, no, that's not true. We don't deny the divinity of anybody. Uh, another one, a visitor to a UU church sat through the sermon with growing shock at the ideas being voiced from the pulpit. Afterward, a UU asked the visitor, so how'd you like it? The visitor said, I can't believe half the things that minister said. The person said, oh great, you'll fit right in. <laughs> yes, Unitarian Universalism is a religion. It is a centuries-old liberal religion, liberal meaning open-minded, free from dogma. Reverend Kimmy Regal says religion is that which reconnects us to what is ultimately important. Some people think that a UU can believe anything and be a UU, but that's absolutely not true. We do have beliefs. We're searchers, but we are not people without belief. Just what do we believe? According to John Higgins, we believe in intellectual freedom. We believe in justice. We believe in compassion and concern for each other and for the whole world. We believe in commitment to those ideals which make us caring and active in the struggles for human dignity. 
Yes, this is a religion of believers. The former UUA minister, uh, president, uh, Peter Morales, uh, said that it's a mistake to think of religion as a set of beliefs. He said religion is much more about what we love than about what we think. If we look at religion through history, Morales tells us that we can see that belief has little to do with religion. Some religious traditions like Buddhism have virtually no beliefs. Hebrew tradition is really more about how people behaved um, and whether they were faithful to their covenant than it is about their beliefs. And if you look at the Latin root of the word religion, it means to bind. So according to Morales, what ties us together, what makes us a religion, a united people, is what we love. Our religion is what we want to preserve, what we want to embrace and create. It's what we really care about. Religion is not about debating differing beliefs. It's, it's about listening to each other. It's about connecting. It's about building relationships. Religion makes us see that we are all in this life together. Morales said, we want compassion, understanding, and justice to guide our actions and our governments. We want to work together hand in hand to build a world beyond exploitation and violence. And if we can focus on what we love, what we care about, miraculous things can happen. Then we will become more generous. We will care more about us than less about I. Morales says, you, you, you use need to get religion. We need to use our love, our idealism, and our energy to transform lives and to change the world. So today I'm going to reframe the word religion as a community of loving people who think actively about our values and belief systems, and through those understandings we unite for a common purpose of making a difference in the world. There's so many ways we can reframe Earlier I mentioned words like evil, grace, sin, salvation, born again, testimony, holy, and revelation. Not touching those today. Those are going to be words for another discussion. But I'll review the ones I've reframed. Church is my community. Spiritual, a deliberate awareness seeking to describe the indescribable. Faith, living in the present without a safety net and knowing that things have a way of working out. God, an effort toward the highest values, all in the power of the universe. And religion, a community of loving people who think actively about our values and belief systems, and through those understandings unite for a common purpose of making a difference in the world. Now, some of you may be perfectly happy with your traditional definitions of these five words, and that's totally fine. Keep the definitions. We all do our best here to respect each other, to find our own different paths, and to support each other in our individual journeys. But for those of you who want to reframe some words, these definitions may not work for you, but you can go through the same sort of process uh, that I discussed and work on some words that you want to frame, reframe. A couple of suggestions. If you have words that do not work, reframe them if you can. Don't lose the use of a perfectly good word. Don't discard words just because of an old frame that doesn't make sense for you anymore. In fact, don't just reframe the words, reclaim the words. Make them yours. This takes away the negativity, the hurt, and the annoyance of the old frame. And remember that story about my niece that I told you in the beginning of the talk. She said she was all stuffed up like Winnie the Pooh. Pooh didn't like being stuck in the rabbit's door, neither did Rabbit or Gopher or Christopher Robin. And finally, after much effort and time, Rabbit got Pooh unstuck, and Pooh was free from being caught in the rabbit's door. 
We can also stop being all stuffed up with words that don't work. Those words that don't work just make us tense, they take up unnecessary energy, and they keep us from finding the honey in the honey tree. Thank you.